I want to continue with our series on Rooted today. And as we do that, I want to talk a little bit differently. I want to bring some of the um, elements we've, we've covered over the last few weeks that I think are really important. And I want to return uh, to the parable of the soils, but I don't want to read it and I don't want to go through all the parts of it. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. You can go back and listen. Um, one of the things I want you to pick up about the parable of the soils is most of that parable has nothing to do with the person sowing the seed. Even though we, we recognize that that parable is talking about God. Can we get some uh, lights up in on the over here as well? We're, we're a little low staff today, so there we go. We're still learning some of these things, but that's better. Um, and so... Most of the effort is put onto the hearers. Now, what I want to do with you today is I want to talk to you about what does it mean to be a scatterer. And coming from my background, I came from a background where the culmination of your religious experience uh, came to the place where you would get up and go somewhere and share your faith with somebody that's not where you are. The idea of going into the world. But I want to look at the parable of the soils to understand what exactly are we being called to. If we understand being rooted in the sense that we are grounded and not only in who Christ is, but we understand the gospel to a deeper degree than just understanding that we get to go to heaven maybe one day, our sins are forgiven. There is so much more to what it means to know and to follow Christ than we often give him credit for. So as we go through this, I want you to just process in your mind some of the things that, uh, that you think about when we say the word evangelism or when we say missions. I want you to process what does that mean not only in your, your understanding of faith, but what does that mean for you where you are right now? Now, if I was going to go out and sow seed in my yard, I have Two ways of doing that. Well, more than two, but I have two ways of doing that. And if you read our blog this week called Scattered, I shared a little bit about that uh, this week. I have a drop spreader, and a drop spreader goes along very detailed lines and drops seed in an exact line, exactly where I want it to go. And it's great whenever I'm going beside my driveway or beside a garden, and I don't want the garden to start growing grass. It's great for it to go exactly where I want it to go. But I have a big yard. And so when I get out into the middle of the yard or I get into the dog run where Josie goes and runs, then it's a massive area that if I use a drop spreader, I literally have to go every single row in order to do that. So I have a broadcast spreader. Now, some of you don't know, have any idea what I'm talking about. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so I have this other spreader that instead of dropping the seed in a straight line, it's got this wheel that spins and the, the, the wheels drive it as you push it and it drops the seed into this wheel and slings it out. Now this is the picture that we actually have in the parable of the soils, not like a drop spreader, not where you plow a row and you drop a seed in a row, but we have this picture of a person scattering seed. In fact, picture, well, there it is of what that would have looked like. So in ancient Israel, when they would go out to seed, this is exactly the image that Jesus is talking about. They would take a donkey, and that donkey would have these big baskets laid across its back. They would be full of seed. And then there would be the sower who would go alongside the donkey, take some of the seed out of the baskets, and they would make this 
kind of makeshift sling that kind of would be almost like a messenger bag today, and they would fill it, and then whenever it would run out, they would refill it from the seed from the donkey. But as they wore the sling over them, they would dig their hand deep into the bag, come out with a heaping armful of seed, and then just throw it. And that seed would go all over the place. Now, when we go back to the parable, we find that some of that seed lands on good soil, some of it lands on the path, some of it lands uh, among, on the rocky ground, and some among the seeds. Because when you spread seed that way, you can't control where it's going to go. It just goes. Now, this image of being scattered we find throughout the Bible. And you might be interested to know that you yourself are meant to be scattered. Now, as we go through and we read through the Old Testament, we find that this scattering happens in a number of different ways. And, and God says from the very beginning, this is what's going to happen. I, you're going to go out and you're going to manage this creation. And then you're going to fill the earth. You're going to scatter throughout the earth. Now, it's important that you, you, you follow what I'm telling you, and you can do really anything you want to do, but don't eat from these two trees, and you know the story. And so they scatter a little differently than God had intended, but yet still to fill the earth. We read a little later, and we talked about the gospel a few weeks ago, and that the gospel is way more than Jesus died on the cross for your sins. That is the most basic, truncated understanding of the gospel that really misses much of the point of what the gospel really is. And so as as Abraham and his family become the nation of Israel, and as they are going out following God, he says, if you will follow me, if you will follow me, then I will make you a great nation. And they turned away, and so they go into exile. And we found that the gospel is really about returning from exile more so than it is about going to heaven. We have to understand what that means. We're going to look at that again in just a few minutes. We also find that when Rome occupies Israel... We have what is referred to in some of your Bibles as the diaspora or the diaspora, depending on how you read it. It literally means the dispersion, and it's when God's people spread out because Rome comes in and basically takes over all of Jerusalem. Now, as we read through and understand how the church got started, this is how the church spread throughout the world was this diaspora. Now, why am I sharing all of this with you? When I grew up in the church, the most important verse that we would read other than John 3.16 was Matthew 28.19 and 20. It was the Great Commission, and it says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I don't know about you. But for me, the emphasis was on the go. <laughs> it was always on the go. We, we held missionaries in high esteem. They were just more spiritual than the rest of us because they would go somewhere. Like if you were going to follow God, you could either be faithful and become a missionary and go, or you could be unfaithful. I mean, that's kind of the, the world that I grew up in. Anybody else have this similar experience in their life? Is it just me? But there's so much more to what Jesus is saying in some of these last words that he shares with them. I grew up believing that that meant that if we were going to share this gospel, this glorious thing, that we had to go somewhere else to do it. It wasn't where we are. It's where we go. 
We find ourselves at the end of this pandemic in a place where uh, we're all kind of finding our footing again. We're finding our footing as as just people, as as citizens, as workers, as Christians. We're all still finding our footing. What does it mean for us to go today? What does it mean in the parable of the soils if we are to understand that while God is the sower in the parable, we have a place of sowing in this world today? How do we do that? When I first became a believer, I had a track that someone gave me, and I I remember I thought, oh, this, this Jesus, this is so profound to me. I... I am changed in this moment. But I remember thinking the last thing I want to do is tell anybody about him. Like this is my thing. This is my personal experience. This is my, I want to cultivate this. I have found something I want to experience and understand and I want to grow deeper in. But people who share their faith are just a little off. Right? They're just a little odd, a little weird, a little different. And I'm just ready for that. And I was so thankful that I had this track that told me all the steps to becoming a believer. And it was literally a stair step. And, and, and the last step was share your faith with somebody else. And I was like, oh, praise the Lord. I can, I can live out these other steps my entire life. I don't even have to get to that step. And I'll be pretty much 99% of the way there. This perfect. A lot of the ways I understood what it meant to share our faith, I didn't understand that then. I still struggle to understand that now. I grew up in a a system that said we have to tell every group in the world about Jesus because if we do, Jesus will come back. If we just tell every group, Jesus will will come back. We find that in Matthew 24, 14. It says, and this is the gospel, um, and the gospel, this gospel of the kingdom we proclaim throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations And then the end will come. And I remember thinking, wow, so why why don't we just airdrop a whole bunch of people? We can take care of this in a weekend. Like, we'll just airdrop people around the world, and you just, you've got GPS, drop them, share the gospel, Jesus will come, done. Why are we working so hard on this? This is easy. This is so easy to take care of this. The problem is with that mentality is that the whole purpose of us sharing Jesus is to get him to come back so we don't share Jesus anymore. There's, there's no more sharing to be done. Is that what Jesus intended when he talked about coming back? And if so, how much longer do we have to take? How much more has to be done? The Joshua Project is a group that has followed this pretty carefully. They, um, they are a missions organization in which they are trying to track the number of people groups in the world um, versus the number of people groups that have not yet heard Christ or the way they describe it, have a Christian presence, which means they have a not only a, a percentage of people that profess Christ, but a percentage of people who are actually trying to live it, which is really sad that we have two different numbers there like people who say they're christians and people who are actually trying to be christians they they say you know the number i think they say five percent of people who confess to be christians but if we can just have two percent of people who are actually trying to live it out then we think that's a a reached people group i don't 
I don't think that's the way God does it, but I, I find it interesting. But in their research, they came up with a number, and they said there are, there are over 17,000 uh, ethnic groups. This word to, to the nations is not actually to a country. There's a problem when we understand to a nation as a political boundary because, like, the United States was not a political boundary when Jesus said this. In fact, in many political boundaries, there are many people groups. For example, uh, this next picture, this is Nigeria. Oh, you can't see it. Wow, that is really saturated. This is Nigeria. Now it's settling in, or maybe my eyes are. This is Nigeria. We could say this is one people group. Next slide. These are all the individual people groups in Nigeria, same map. So there's a lot more people groups than there are nations. Now, the Joshua Project has estimated there are somewhere around 17,400 people groups in the world, and of those, 7,400 of them are yet unreached or don't have a Christian presence there. Does this mean the parable of the soils mean that we now ourselves need to go to all of these places? Well, on some level... Probably. Seems like this is what we ought to be doing. But one of the problems with the Great Commission being about the word go is what happens with the people who are still where we were. <laughs> now let's say we uh, make every person in this room a missionary. Let's find every Christian in Chattanooga and let's make them a missionary. And we say now that you're a missionary, you're going to go into the uttermost parts of the world to share the gospel. But there's a whole lot of people who aren't Christians in Chattanooga. What about them? Now what happens if we all spread out? And let's say I go to Africa because... You know, I was a kid, like the promised land was Africa. That's where you go to share your faith. Now it's the 1040 window. I mean, that was the place. So let's say I go to, to Africa and they have the exact same theology of evangelism that I do. Where do they go? Do they come to Chattanooga? <laughs> or, or, or maybe they go to, to Russia? But what does a believer in Russia do? Where do they go? Do they go to China? What about somebody from... The, the emphasis on the Great Commission being on the word go is a very great misunderstanding of what it means for us to practice our faith. And if I cut to the chase, what I, what I want you to leave with today is the reality that God never intended for the Great Commission to be a message that we told and then we left. That was never the intent of the Great Commission. In fact, it's even our translations of the Great Commission are wrong. Because if we look at the if you look at the construction of the word go, it literally means as you are going, not go. Which are very different ideas because go means wherever you are, go somewhere else. As you are going means you're already going places, and as you're doing that you see, it's subtle, but not so subtle. It's actually pretty, pretty profound difference. What does it look like for us 
to live out the Great Commission, scattering the good news. I normally have more than three things I want to share with you today. I have three, so I'm pretty on target for the way you're supposed to preach. So, yay for me and you today, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's right, that's right. There will be songs written about this sermon, not really, but a limerick. That's beyond my ability to do a limerick, but. So how do we live out the Great Commission? And I'm, I'm sharing this with you because I don't think you can actually walk with Christ if this is not a part of your life. In the same way, if we share our faith because I have to, we miss the beauty of what it means to live on mission with Christ. I'm going to try to walk a line here, and I'm going to try to take you through my thinking, and it may be where you already are. If so, just bear with me. And if not, this is a great conversation to continue beyond today. So if we're going to live out this great commission, scattering the good news, the first thing we have to do is we have to agree on what Jesus is saying on about two things. One, what does it mean to go? And two, what is the good news? I've already shared, I disagree with our understanding of what the good news is. We've truncated it to such a point that we've lost the beauty of who Jesus really is by saying, by making it about just the way in which he has brought us freedom. We've taken away the power of the freedom itself. We have to agree on what Jesus is saying. He is saying, as you are going, there's not a time limit. There's not a goal. It's not a, let's drop you know, missionaries into all these places. Let's take care of it in a weekend and Jesus will return and the, the new heaven and new earth will come. It'll be all over. Done. Done deal. We don't have to worry about this stuff anymore. We could do that. We are in an age of technology that we could make that happen. We could get the gospel in the ears of every people group in a moment. But he says there's no time limit. Acts 1, he says this, when they had come together, they asked him, will you at this time restore the kingdom of it to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power and the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the end of the earth. Paraphrased, don't worry about timing. You just go do the thing that you're called to do. Timing will take care of itself. A lot of times we approach our faith the way we approach a class or a work day. We have that horrible clock on the wall, and and, and I swear the seconds tick by half as fast as they're supposed to, right? Man, how long have we been here? We're 30 minutes in. What? Timing is not the issue. It's not what Jesus is talking about. It's not what's important. We have to agree on what Jesus is saying. And and one is, he's saying, as you were going, not go and do this thing. That does not mean that there aren't some people that are called to go. It's a beautiful calling. A lot of my friends have this calling to go do something. And it's beautiful. And they're empowered and excited. And God does amazing things through them. This does not, what Jesus is saying, 
does not diminish that. But to say that for you to be a faithful, rooted follower of Jesus means you have to go to another place defies the actual language that Jesus is using. We have to agree on what Jesus is saying if we're going to be Great Commission people scattering the good news. The second thing we have to do is we have to agree on what the gospel is. Now, if you ask different people, you'll get a different understanding of what the gospel is. We'll assume you have some understanding of what that means. The word literally means the good news. But what is the good news? Generally, it starts somewhere like this, depending on you know how deeply you've read your Bible. It starts something with, we, uh, Jesus died for our sins. Okay, that's true, right? And that is good news. But if I'm not a believer, and you walk up to me and say, listen, I have some good news for you. Jesus died for your sins. You know how I'm going to respond? Great. Fantastic. Good talking with you. I got to go. <laughs> I got other things I need to do. Maybe you're a little more intentional about your understanding of that. But Jesus died for our sins. It focuses on two fairly negative things, dying and sins. Me, so I don't have to. Ah, sounds great. See ya. Can literally have zero change in my life, my heart, my thinking, anything. Say, well, Mark, that's not complete because he didn't just die for our sins. Jesus died for our sins and he rose from the grave. To which a person who hasn't grown up in the church would say, wow. Okay. See ya. That's great. I mean, good for him. I mean, I must have been amazing. I'm not making light of the fact that Jesus died for our sins or that he rose from the grave. I'm saying it is an incomplete story. This is not the gospel. Though many of us grew up believing and hearing this is the gospel. Now, so I, so I don't fall into the realm of uh, out of orthodoxy. <laughs> I believe these things are true, and they are an important part of the gospel. But there's another question here that we rarely ask that many of our evangelism programs and strategies and the way we think we're supposed to win the world focus only on that information. And usually uh, when we, uh, uh, those somehow begin with the question, if you were to die today, are you going to heaven? And we either consciously or subconsciously say the gospel is about going to heaven. To which if I'm not growing up in the church, I'm going to say, okay, this happens when you die? Yeah, it's going to be great. Oh, oh. So I don't actually have to do anything until I die, right? Like I'm good, yeah, well, Jesus died for your sins and he rose from the grave so that you could go to heaven. But Jesus never actually said that. And first century rabbis would never have taught that. That was not their understanding of what the gospel was. There was something more to it. So maybe we fill in that blank, so that what? Put that slide back up. 
Jesus died for our sins and rose from the grave. So that what? We might call this the so what question. So who cares? Like that was 2,000 years ago. So that what? Uh, It would be super healthy to stop right now and to leave this place and for you to wrestle with filling in that blank. Why did he do it? Well, you don't understand. Your sins are really, really bad. A person can get that. The world's pretty rough shape. So what does it look like? Is it that we stop sinning? So if that's it, we stop sinning, and I come up to you and I say, Jesus died for your sins, and he rose from the grave so that you don't have to sin anymore. That could work if they don't spend more than about a half minute with me, right? After about a half minute, they're going to go, well, I don't think it worked for you. (laughs) I don't think think it took for you. I'm not sure. Okay, I, I know a lot of Christians. I don't think it took for any of them. So I don't think I want that. What is that so that question? We looked at Paul when he said, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And what we discovered was Paul was quoting Isaiah and Nahum, who Nahum was also quoting Isaiah because Isaiah said it first and he said, the time is coming when the beautiful feet of those will come and share the good news. And the good news was this. You have been scattered in exile and you get to go home. Isaiah said, the day is coming. He was a prophet. The day is coming when someone's going to come. And now while we're in exile now, we have no home. They're coming and they're going to tell you, you get to go home. The good news is we get to go home. And then Nahum comes along after him. Nahum's the one who actually realizes this. He sees it. It actually happens. And he's saying, look, it's the one who's bringing the good news. And what did the one say? You get to go home. You get to go home. Paul wasn't talking about Jesus dying on the cross and coming out of the grave. Paul was talking about something more profound than the actions of what Jesus did. The actions of Jesus changed heaven and earth. But he did it for a purpose other than that we just get to one day go to heaven. How would you fill in the blank of the so that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the grave so that I found within my own life some of the ways I answer, I fill in the blank so that I I, I can walk with Jesus every day. Died on the cross and rose from the grave so that I'm never ever truly going to be alone. He died on the cross and he rose from the grave so that I could be reconciled to my father who created me to live a life full of hope and love and joy. Jesus died on the cross for my sins and he rose from the grave so that I could become the person he always imagined I would be had sin never entered into the world. 
Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the grave so that he and I could be in a relationship together that would last all eternity. See how that's different than when we say Jesus died from, uh, for our sins and, and rose from the grave? We found decades ago that the primary way of getting the gospel into these people groups was to just go and give them that message. And then we would show them how to do church like we do church in the U.S. And they failed miserably. Like they just failed miserably because come to find out we don't do everything great here um, all the time, right? And they would go and they would share this message and then vanish. Some of us came up in evangelism programs just like this, cold call evangelism. We walk up and we just say, do you know and yet we'll never see them or talk to them or demonstrate that we love them ever or at least ever again. Why am I sharing this? The failures? Well, gosh, I mean, life is all about learning from our failures. So failures are not all that terrible. They teach us how to do things better. That's not why I share this with you, though. I share this with you because... When you begin to experience Jesus in such a way that you are transformed, which is how the Bible says it's supposed to happen, like you become a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. When you experience that, you share a whole lot more than the mechanics of what Jesus had to do to make that happen. But a lot of times we have grown so accustomed to just the words that we've lost the reality. And so people feel like Christianity is dying or Jesus isn't real or he was a good man, but he certainly wasn't God. They feel that way because we've relegated the beautiful thing that Jesus did and what God's been orchestrating from that moment in the garden where sin entered. God's been working for something so much more profound than his son dying on a cross and coming out of the grave. Because you know what? Lazarus did that too. Jesus was doing so much more. Maybe this would be my a bit longer definition of what did Jesus come to do? God loves us. And he sent Jesus Christ to restore us to the holy, righteous, and loving people that God intended for us to be with him. Jesus did this by dying on the cross for our sins and brokenness so that if we truly believe this, We will be changed forever. There is a difference in a person who has been changed forever sharing Jesus and someone who just knows the details and they're sharing the details. Now, am I I making this all super stressful? I, I don't mean to be. Because when you do that, now you're sharing things that don't, require you to say everything just right. See, the interesting thing about the parable of the soils is the seed goes out, but guess what? Some of that seed landed on a path. It had no chance of taking root whatsoever, but the seed still went out. The emphasis is on the receiver, not the the person who's sending the seed. It's going to fall in the rocky soil, and, and, and it's going to feel good for a minute, and then it's going to wither away. And, and it, 
That's not because you didn't get the ABCs of salvation just right in the exact right environment, in the exact right place, at the exact right for the, to the exact right people. Because it doesn't matter what would have been shared in rocky soil, this, it's, this is what's going to happen. And among the weeds, like you, you can hope at times have friends. I do this. I have friends that I just want to, like, I just want to grab them and I want to pull them out of their environment and say, you just stay with me for a while. But we can't live life that way. And the weeds still crop up, and it has nothing to do with whether or not I was a good enough sower. See, there's so much in the Christian faith that we just tell people, you're just not good enough. Jesus never said that. Jesus never said, you know what? This world would have been changed if I had better disciples. (laughs) But we say that all the time about people, don't we? Third thing we have to get right is our witness has to be consistent because they can sniff out a fake. And let's be honest, there's a lot of fakes out there. One day, I, I, I was meeting with our, our group of pastors that meets weekly just to pray and to talk and, and struggle through things together. And it was the day after my Facebook feed was filled with former pastors who had done terrible things in their congregations. Two in one day. They just, they just it makes my blood boil it makes my heart break. It makes me understand why the world rejects our faith because they sniff out those fakes. Like they clearly didn't believe the message they've been telling, and many get really wealthy off of. They sniff it out. Our message has to be consistent. When we say we believe something, like I, I believe the stage will hold me up. If I really didn't believe that, I wouldn't be up here, right? I really believe Jesus rose from the dead. If I really believe that, then like my Savior rose from the dead. If I really believe that God loves me so fully that he sent his son to die for me, God really loves me. But if it's just a mental exercise of making sure I get the ABCs right, has no power in it whatsoever. And many times we give the wrong message to people. Our witness has to be consistent. Second Corinthians 5, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. That's the so that, really. Why did Jesus die on the cross and rise from the dead? To reconcile the world to himself. That's what it is about. It's not about heaven. Heaven is like that great benefit that you didn't even know you got, and someone showed up and said, oh, by the way, you get heaven too. What? I mean, it was already great, but I get heaven too. I mean, that was always what heaven was. It was like the add-on. But we live like it's the whole package. 
God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That's evangelism. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's, we are the representatives. We go out and tell people this, not because we got the details right, but because we found a Savior who changed us forever, and it is so beautiful and glorious. You got you to gotta know this. This thing I found incredible. We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I think our biggest struggle as, as we come out of the pandemic, as we've said so many times, and, and the pandemic is what it is. I mean, it's, it's not forced anything on us that wasn't already there. The question for us as the church continues to struggle with where does it go now is really rooted, I believe, in one simple question, and that is, is our identity in Christ or is Christ a part of our identity? I think we are so good at compartmentalizing our life and our priorities, our principles, and our faith. For many of us, Christ is a part of our identity, but he is not our identity in full. Jesus, he's pretty harsh on this. He said, listen, it's all or nothing. All or nothing. Don't be messing around. Be in or be out. Is our identity in Christ? Or is Christ just a part of our identity? We have no hope in sharing the beauty of Christ if he is just a part of our identity. We should stop. We do more harm than good. Now let me just say, before I jump on the legalistic wagon of, you're just not good enough, which is where this could go really, really quickly. You know, this is where grace fits. This is where mercy lives. We often talk in Deidre's world of of special education and, and kids with special needs about the spectrums that they many fall in. There's not a you're a A or you're a B, there's a spectrum. We call this place journey because everyone is on this spectrum that we call journey. You might be a brand new believer. You might have been a believer for years. You may still be asking questions. There's a spectrum. So if you're thinking, well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to have my full identity in Christ, but I'm still struggling. That's okay. That's okay. You can still share the beauty of Christ, even if you don't have it all figured out yet, because if we have to have it all figured out first, none of us can do it. But it does manifest in the way that we live our lives. John 13 says, A new commandment I give to you. You love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. And this is so beautiful when we talk about evangelizing, which is so different from a you're going to hell perspective. He says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That takes change. One of my friends likes to likes the quote, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. I'm sure you heard that. It's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, but that's not actually what he said. He never actually said that. In talking to friars of his order, he said, all the friars should preach by their deeds. In other words, there's more to sharing the gospel than getting just the facts right. James says this in James chapter 2 when he says, you, show me, you say you have faith without works, I'll show you my faith by my works. All right, I got to wrap up. As we talk about how do we reach people, if you are sold out to the idea of knocking on doors and telling people Jesus loves you. And knock on the doors. I'll come with you. But for many of us, this is not the calling that the Great Commission is. Because as you are going, make disciples. As you are going to work. As you are going to school. As you are going to the store. As you are going on Facebook, as you are going to church, tell people about Jesus. I'm a firm believer that at times telling somebody about Jesus means simply sitting down and listening to them without saying a word. I think sometimes telling somebody about Jesus is when they're standing there and they don't have enough to eat and and, and you Give them a meal. Now clearly, sitting down and listening and giving somebody a meal does not actually tell them that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. They need to hear that too. But what if they hear that from you on every other day? In different ways. But it's in the moments where you live it out that the gospel actually takes meaning to them takes root in their lives. They see it. It's consistent. I think that's one of our huge problems today. Do we proclaim the love of God but hate the people around us? Do we hate the political party that's not ours? Do we hate the people that don't follow what we believe is God's intention for the way we live our lives? Do we talk about God's holiness and righteousness one minute and then that really inappropriate meme the next? What's a person who's listening, who's watching you, thinking about your faith? Uh, I mean, I don't know anything about Christians, but I know Christians ought not be posting that. Do we guard our tongues and the way that we're talking and with our Christian friends while spitting venom behind others' backs. The world sniffs that stuff out. Is it important for us to have time with other believers or is it way more important that I have time with Netflix or is work just really my main thing? Sometimes even our families push them out. Our families are so important to us. 
Do we claim Jesus is everything to us? The only Bible we know are John 3.16 and maybe the Great Commission and the last sermon we heard because we never spend any time in it. Are we quick to say that we reject the judgment of others while we judge others? We have to be consistent in that if we're going to share this message with people, we have to live it out. And I'm not suggesting that we need to work really hard on being a lot better people. I mean, I think we need to work really hard in seeing who Jesus really is and let him change us. This is the context in which we're doing this. And then I'm going to quit here. This is the context that Jesus says, so just so you know, if you commit to telling people how beautiful Jesus is and and telling uh, just the story of his love for us, that he died on the cross for us, and he wants to restore you, reconcile you back to him, and he wants you to find the joy and the love and the hope and the purpose in life that he he, he intended for you all along. Understand, this is the world that you'll do it in. Matthew 24, and Jesus said to them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. That's how we understand the timing. I don't know about you, none of that excites me. (laughs) I don't get up in the morning and go, yes, wars and rumors of wars, fantastic. It It is great. I don't want any of this. So maybe the as you are going is way more important than we thought. And in a difficult season and in a difficult time, us living out our faith is more about day-to-day experiencing the beauty of Christ than it is in us trying to make sure every single people group gets reached in a timely fashion. It doesn't mean we shouldn't reach every people group. This should fill the world. He wants us to fill the world. We should fill the world with the gospel. But perhaps what it looks like is you, right now, fully experiencing Christ to such a place and such a level that it just overflows out of you, that the people that you live with, work with, go to school with, they see it and they want it because they don't have that. Maybe like Frank, Saint Frank, Saint, whew, tongue tied. 
St. Francis said, we should teach by our deeds. All right, that's all I got for you for today. Let me tell you where we're headed. Over the next um, two to three weeks, um, I, I've got, there are three different um, rabbit holes I want to chase with you. One of them is dealing with suffering in this reality. And we see lots of stuff in nature that helps us understand how God has built us to do that. One is what happens when we feel like our spiritual life is just dried up. Like I'm not producing any fruit in my life. How, what do I do? How do, Am I just, am I toast? Am I history? Am I no good? What, is it, what does it look like? We also learn lots of things um, from nature there. And then I just want to wrap up this whole thing. Where we're headed after this is we're going to be talking about spiritual rhythms. Spiritual rhythms um, are the things that help us day to day like a rhythm. You have rhythms in your life, uh, different rhythms for work and sleep and fun and finances. You have all kinds of rhythms that go on your life. Rhythms are the ebbs and flows of the way we live. And the Bible says a lot about what that looks like for us. So we're going to move into that and talk about how do we have healthy rhythms in life. So I hope you'll join us, our guests. I hope you guys will come back and see us again. I haven't run you off today. Um, for everyone, if you want to play kickball tonight, listen, we have a lot of fun. We laugh at each other in Jesus a lot. And we have a really good time from the voice in the back. Father, I thank you for all those who are here, and I believe they are here for a reason today. You are the ultimate of everything we could ever have. I'm just I'm thankful that you sought me out so many years ago to tell me, in spite of me, you love me. And you're here with me and for me. And you want me to live life with you from now on. I thank you for the love that you showed us in sending your son to die on the cross. You are who you say you are, and he was who he said he was, so that he did walk out of the grave. I thank you that those things are true. And I thank you so much that you've reconciled us back to you. That you are in the process of restoring us even at this moment to the people you in, originally intended for us to be. Help us as we leave this place to share you well. Help our deeds be consistent with what we say we believe. Father, even when there are all kinds of chaos going around, on around us, let us rest in the beauty of the fact that we know you and you are with us, not just when we walk along the, the green gardens and fields, but you are also with us when we are in the chaos, when we are in the pain. You are our God. You have chosen us. Thank you for allowing us to be your children again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.